For today's episode, I have John Bernardi of Blue Rose Task Force. Hey there, I'm John Bernardi. I um I'm here, there, and everywhere about Twin Peaks, it seems like, but um these days I'm mostly at the Blue Rose Task Force podcast, and uh we're getting ready to start up season uh season two. And uh yeah, I, I've been a fan of Twin Peaks since I was 12, and uh it um it's always good to talk about. Since we're talking about Dr. Jacoby, I kind of figured that he's one of those characters where he is likable, but there's also a lot of things to not like about him all at once. And I think the if we're going to start with the most unlikable aspect, I think of the part in The Missing Pieces where it's pretty irrefutable that in his case that there is a very inappropriate romance that he feels towards Laura. Because, uh, you know, in the show, he presents it as if uh, actually even the secret diary where uh, Laura, she spots that he has feelings for her and that he likes the quote unquote two Laura's. And so when they mm-hmm. talk in the missing pieces, you know, he's uh, he's asking for a tape and he wants to have a kiss. And it's it's just it's just it just showcases that there's a more than creepy undertone with uh, with Jacoby. Yeah, he's definitely been on a path of, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's exactly a redemption, but like there's there's a certain amount of that he started out as. And uh, yeah, yeah, I am not, I'm not a, I'm honestly, I don't think I'm that much of a fan of the character <laughs> up until season three because of stuff like this. I mean, he's, he's a really complicated dude because mm-hmm. like he seems to know his stuff, but then you know it's always for these ulterior motives it seems like it seems like uh, a lot of people who seem to watch the pilot um the first thing they notice is that the way he caresses the tie Mm -hmm, (laughs) and i've seen it where people all watch the pilot with someone and they'll say like oh i don't like this i don't like this at all Mm -hmm. and uh which is funny because everyone has that like just that off-putting feeling to him and uh i guess it's probably worth mentioning is that uh, back in 1990, there was a poll of like who killed Laura Palmer on TV mm-hmm. by a wide margin. He was like number one just because oh, yeah. he of how he was as equally creepy as he was eccentric. <laughs> and uh, the fact that he was the one who digs up the necklace as well just really doesn't mm-hmm. make it look good either. No, no, he does not have a good look early on in season one. He uh, he refuses to give any knowledge to Dale Cooper. And he talks about how the investigation with Laura is ongoing. Mm-hmm. And there's a few ways, like, you know, regardless of how you look at, you know, the trajectory that goes in the show or behind the scenes or the secret history, yeah. there's a lot to unpack there with, uh, you know, what he means by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he definitely has an interesting idea about patient, uh, <laughs> patient confidentiality, especially when he's talking to Bobby in... Um, Oh my gosh, I can't remember the exact episode, but it's the one where um it it's um it's around the funeral. And um, you know, he just like breaks you know, well, uh, d- you know, did did she laugh at you? You know that one. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's like he if if he really wanted to keep um Laura's confidentiality, he wouldn't just start, you know, dumping things like that. He just wanted to get to an answer. 
Yeah, no, that's a thing is that um, I know in the secret history is that uh, it shows a little bit of a passage of the eye of God where it uh, shows even the 60s and 70s, he was going against the grain of like the most fundamental code of ethics and anthropology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, in that, like not only is uh, does Tammy just in a report say that it's uh, pretty odious, but also <laughs> just the fact that it's just she's very put off by it. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's the thing is that he just doesn't really care uh, about uh, about how people look at him. He just he's just going to be that type of person. Uh, one of the things I was thinking of when I went back through the secret diary of Laura Palmer is that uh, er, in early on season one, he talks about how Laura was this impenetrable fortress that he couldn't get through and that he mm-hmm. felt he was an abject failure. But uh, at least in the secret diary, Laura does talk about how she tells him everything. Like she talks mm-hmm. about Bob and uh, I and I, all I could think of is when I revisited that part of the secret diary is that was that a lie to the authorities? Because um, we were talking about the, you just brought up the thing about the uh, doctor patient confidentiality where mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't take it too seriously. So uh, I'm not sure if that means anything in particular in terms of, you know, what his quote unquote ongoing investigation means and where he's going to yeah. take it. Yeah, I think he just likes to keep it to himself and like it, it really is like a growing thing. It's but then again, it might just be the writers of Twin Peaks, honestly, because like you've got, you know, Donna talking about, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to keep this investigation secret. And then, you know, Harold, he's like, oh, no, 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 there's nothing in the diary. It's 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 mine. I'm, you know, it's for me. <laughs> and uh, Jacoby's like right in there with like all the that that creepiness of like what what keeping secrets can do for him like you know it's like he's gonna he i i don't know but also i mean it's like what you were saying about the the possession angle of like of laura you know it's like he he wanted you know it's like oh uh you know i want to tape but i want to kiss you know it's like he's like trying to like get as much of her as he can Actually, Which, that does, uh, uh, that does, because speaking of Donna and then just the, uh, like his, like, lust for Laura, it does mm-hmm. tie into near the end of season one, where uh, I remember thinking the first time I watched is that when it shows Maddie dressed up as Laura, mm-hmm. all I could think of was like, oh, this is clearly someone else, like, in a wig. Um, mm. I mean, to be fair, I, I mean, obviously Cheryl Lee's playing Maddie, but to me, it's just like everything about just looked off. And I thought, like, wow, he must, you know, for a guy who's this highly intelligent, perceptive, this uh, he's really just completely blindsided by any mm-hmm. of this. That, like, not, the fact that this is so, uh, like, a trap, if you will, is like, uh, it just doesn't even cro- cross his mind. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting in in that scene, like, he actually takes off his sunglasses, the 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 red and the the blue, like, you know, he's actually looking at her with his own eyes at that point. So like, you know, it's like, it's all his biases, you know, it's not whatever kind of balance he, you know, it's like, he, he's, you know, he, he's seeing the world not through his own <laughs> medicinal practice or whatever. Uh, he's, um, you know, he, he's, he's just working with his own brain and his own interpretation abilities. And I, I bet he just wants her alive. Actually, on the top of the glasses, um, have you ever read in the uh, Access Guide or mm-hmm. Secret History where yeah. there's like it's not just like a idiosyncratic like, but it's like a almost a practical type of type yeah. of approach. Uh, and the things that um, is that uh, when Sally, when she did the Audrey episode with me, she talked. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the use of color, and she talked about how mm-hmm. purple has a more dreamlike quality. Yeah, and there's a lot about uh, purple and violet, mm-hmm. specifically in the Secret History. Yes, but you know, pertain to his vision. 
mm-hmm. uh, that that was something I just found very hard to ignore. Was uh, yeah. was just like what that what that uh, purple tint uh, does for him, like in terms yeah. of his brain and how how he views mm-hmm. the world. Yeah, like the 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 whole idea of like the balancing, like that actually came from Russ Tamblin. He talked on um, uh, Alec Baldwin's um, "This Just In" or whatever, whatever, um, whatever Baldwin's podcast is called. Like he he. Um, he talked about how that was his idea, like for the wardrobe, he just brought them in and he said it was because of balancing or whatever. And they said, yeah, just keep that under your hat. That's kind of neat. And um, then they put it in the access guide <laughs> and his trading card. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, it, it's just really neat. And and um, the uh, the Secret History audiobook has Russ Tamlin actually explaining that little part too, like about Nadine. The optical integration system is how he calls it. And then like, you know, it's like the the one color like tamps down the intuition side and the other color tamps down the um, the physical side. And then um, because they're both like reduced, like they have to work together to see things. And like that's how the purple issue kind of does this balance thing, which is so neat. Actually, because uh, since we brought up Nadine and we're talking about his sense of perspective, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things, and usually in secret history, <clears throat> I can have a certain, uh, when there's an inconsistency, I can think of I, either it's misreported or there's mm-hmm. uh, or there's a, or a misinterpretation. Yeah. But in the case of the one with Nadine, there's so much that's far off because, uh, you know, in the season two premiere, Ed talks about how he shot Nadine's eye mm-hmm. like right after, right after the wedding. And yeah. so that would be well before 1987 when this report comes out. And then Jacoby's talking about uh, not only is the date wrong, but he talks about how he insinuates that Ed like just lost his lid after that. And yeah. uh, not, I mean, of course, like I would never put it past like most people, bar and Andy, probably mm-hmm. having like some dark secrets. But in the case of Ed, I, I just, I just can't see how that scene in season two would actually be him just like you know having a lie uh it's not just you know ever mcgill's uh, performance just that mm. the way ed you know ed just has this deeply held conviction of adhering to his principles yeah well the secret history has this weird thing though anyway where it's like this mirror image like there there's so many reversals um um like um you know the the moon landing stamp on uh, norma's little note um it's um it was like months before the actual moon landing. So it's like, you know, it's like th- there's, there's all these things. And then, um, you know, Pete being, uh, uh, a checkers guy instead of chess, you know, things like that. And, um, um, the, the Robert Jacoby section, um, he, he talks about how the, uh, the, uh, the Martells were already in town when the Packards showed up, but in access guide, it's the Packers, the Packards show up first and then the Martells show up. So like, there's all these, like, there are too many blatant reversals for me to think that that's just, you know, like a continuity problem. Like that's, that's a whole different can of worms. Mm -hmm. So I just accept the fact that everything's backwards and, um, think that that's like more of like a, a negative frequency kind of thing or like maybe it's you know if, if you're one of those multiple timelines people you know it's like maybe this happened this is the one where like you know cooper changed time a little bit and then like everything's just a little weird because like lodge space it, it's from lodge space and like you know that makes everything kind of like talk backwards or you know <laughs> i actually in the in the case of uh the moon landing stamp Mm-hmm. I've heard two stories. Uh, John Thorne he said that he actually talked to Mark Frost directly, asking if okay. that was some if that was some deliberate. And according to him, he said that Mark Frost was 
shocked and also wasn't really thrilled about it. And then I heard something, I forget which, who I was listening to earlier, but apparently mm -hmm. after that, Mark Frost was talked about in a different light. Again, maybe this comes back to the whole, people have different stories about mm -hmm. uh, Mark Frost and how he felt about it. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, it, it, in the case of, uh, I mean, I know that I have this uh, mindset that what we see on the page, you know, whether I view it as an inconsistency or, you know, some behind the scenes, I always try to find a way to how this works. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, it's uh in the case of stuff like the Martells and uh the Packards. I guess uh, I, I mentioned this uh I remember mentioning to someone that I view the access guide where it's actually Lucy is actually the person who had to write it. <laughs> is that uh basically the Chamber of Commerce of Twin Peaks said that mm -hmm. we need this on a deadline and just like she yeah. just like shoveled it out. You no, know, which explains why she would know stuff about like the bookhouse boys, uh the yeah. fashion play, the fact that mm -hmm. Pete has like a list that's missing like five items. I just thought like, oh, this just feels like it was written out on a deadline, and uh, yeah. it's, it's better for that. Mm -hmm. Speaking of inconsistencies, um, one of the things is that um, in the access guide, compared to it was either the final dossier or it was uh, the secret history. But Dr. Jacoby, he's uh, he's he was listed as born in 1934 in the access guide, mm -hmm. and then he was listed as uh, 1936 in the secret history. Where uh, yeah. I, for that one, I always view that as like Tammy, where She's kind of going by like maybe the raw information or some got mm -hmm. lost in translation. But yeah, it's just that we that's the thing about the secret history is that there's just so much that uh, mm -hmm. is that like you can always say like, oh, maybe Major Briggs had bad information or yeah. maybe, uh, maybe this got lost over time. But <clears throat> when you think about it in a larger context and you think about it all at once, uh, it can definitely raise more questions than answers. And sometimes mm -hmm. like even just ways that don't feel even particularly rewarding in some cases. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a big mess, but I'm gonna have a lot of fun digging into that for Blue Rose Cast, of course. I know that. Speaking of what, did you read the Eye of God part uh, earlier today? Yes. Yeah, that was one where, uh, and this actually comes back to the whole violet aspect of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when we were talking about like how he views everything in a purple light. Yeah. Is that uh, like he may or may not have taken the local hallucinogens uh, according yeah. to uh, Tammy. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he when he goes to this ritual that uh, he uh, he goes off and uh, he sees otherworldly worldly figures, and by his own admission, he's not sure if they're angelic or demonic. He yeah. refers to them as tall and humanoid, cold, mm -hmm. reptilian, and neutral, and yeah. leaning towards malevolent. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's a shining figure that is taller than these figures, yeah. and uh, it emerges and it gives off a violet light. Uh, and also an impression of beauty that wards off all the entities. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm not sure if this is uh, worth mentioning, but... I know that uh, there's a, it was in the movie Color Out of Space, where uh, it's actually a color uh, that, you know, the human eye can't comprehend, but if we had to, hmm. it would be violet. Uh, and again, you know, this, in the case of Mark Frost, he talks about stuff like, you know, you know UFOs, interdimensional yeah. beings, and uh, in the book, at least in this specific part, it's kind of ambiguous of if it's a, if it is like interdimensional beings, just because you know the trajectory mm. that Douglas Milford goes through. Yeah, it's not off the table. But also conversely, mm. since this is a spiritualistic uh, odyssey that he's on, mm -hmm. it could also just be, uh, you know, something else that's more omnipresent. Yeah, yeah. Well, the um, the way I look at that, I I'm absolutely convinced that that's kind of like a lodge trial. That's like you know his Andy meets the fireman moment. You know, like uh, you know he he drinks this ayahuasca that um like what do you call it um it it like 
sends it it feels like it sets all his nerves on fire or something you know it's like there, there's fire there there's um the the harsh smell is like you know scorched engine oil you know it's like there's all these vibes that like totally match up with you know they're they're sending him to the same place that um meriwether lewis did when he went under the falls um you know the the great northern falls or whatever that is um so like you know i i think that's like jacoby's way of getting in there <laughs> and um you know he didn't get much out of it because he's probably on time delay with it just like everybody else you know it's like you, you only remember when you're able to remember and um you know i mean he's he's this idiot back then you know? <laughs> yeah yeah or it's like he's kind of just being irreverent for the sake of being irreverent yeah uh, yet he also has this like actual spiritual experience you know it's like uh, he's he's such an odd character because like he's this this i mean he's kind of a moron he doesn't have very strong ethics um but yet like he's on this path from like minute one all the way through like in into season three that like it it basically does end up showing up that like he's doing this interpersonal alchemy uh actually because you mentioned the thing about the scorch engine oil mm -hmm. is that uh i remember uh last year when i did my rewatch i was thinking of the shadowy figure uh that we see twice in season one once is when uh there's uh bobby and mike and leo where they see a shadowy figure oh, yeah. behind the tree <laughs> and then also some emerges when it attacks dr jacoby I remember for the longest time, even maybe now, I still think of mm -hmm. that first shadow figure as Jacoby, just because later <laughs> on, after Laura's funeral, he shows up in the middle of the night. And it's also not that crazy in the case of Jacoby for him to, it's not that crazy for Dr. Jacoby to, you know, find his way to something like that with uh, Mike, Bobby, and Leo, just because he was able to, you know, uh, mm -hmm. follow Donna and James and somehow evade the sheriff's department on top of it. Yeah. But uh, the thing is that when you look at the season one finale, he gets attacked and then mm -hmm. the scorch engine oil seems to insinuate that it's Leland. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. It's because, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, you think of in Fire Walk with me where uh, where Laura asks, like, what's that smell? And he's clearly revving up yeah. the engine just to mask like what yeah. the engine oil is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, although it also like I've I've always interpreted it that like that that's what Bob smells like. And um, I know, like um, in um, in uh, Twin Peaks Behind the Scenes by Mark Altman. Um, oh God, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> Lynch said something about you know, like the smell of Bob to the uh, smell of turpentine. So it's almost like I, I feel like you know, it's like you know, the turpentine is like the thing you have to use to clean a brush to make the art, except it's really terrible for you. So like, I, I kind of feel like it's like the the smell of scorched engine oil is almost like a byproduct of of lodginess or of um um it ends up being of portals because of that that jar that margaret gives cooper uh in episode 29 so but but you know at this point it almost feels like that's a bob smell okay no i i can see that um actually the uh because we're you know after he gets attacked he's not in the picture for a little bit of season two mm -hmm. but uh there's one thing that i looked up and i, I feel like I, I look this up every six months to make sure i'm not like misconstruing it but i always forget about i believe it's eliona jacoby uh oh, his yeah, wife yeah. like um, somehow you know all the yeah. stuff that we're talking about like 
in the case of Dr. <clears throat> Jacoby, he has like this absolutely beautiful wife, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's so creepy just makes this so much worse. Yeah, because even even if you go on, I, I try not to use Twin Peaks Wiki when I do my research too much. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It's not a bad site. I just I just like to yeah. try look at stuff on my own time, but. I looked her up just to make sure I didn't like misinterpret that this was his wife because there's nothing about her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You think that uh, you think there'd be something in the secret history of the final dossier about like, Hey, they yeah. got divorced, but there's, there's nothing. No. Well, I bet, I bet Frost forgot that she was ever in the show. Cause she's only in that one weird hypnotism scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, was, uh, I, I thought yeah. I remember the, like I, up until my third rewatch, I remember thinking this was like, I don't know, a woman that he flew in from Hawaii just to make mm-hmm. him feel better for ritualistic purposes. Yeah. But I genuinely forget that he is married. And so everything we talk about pertain to Laura, or if you want mm-hmm. to talk about the, uh, maybe Dr. Patient Confidentiality doesn't cross over with marriage, but there's just a lot of stuff about the guy that uh, when you find out he's married, it just makes a bad situation worse. Yeah. Yeah, and especially like that. And I mean, it, it, it gives off these like really odd colonialism kind of vibes. For beyond that topic, because um, he doesn't show up till, you know, for a lot of the, you know, during the Laura Palmer case in season mm-hmm. two, we do see him at Leland's Wake where, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's there with the crowd, but we don't really see him come into play till mm-hmm. Ben Horn's Civil War art. Yeah. And uh, apparently uh, Richard Beamer and Russ Tamlin did not want to mm-hmm. sing the song because one, it was their first time uh, singing together since mm-hmm. West Side Story. And yeah. you think it's all like, oh, gee. You mean you have these two guys where uh, one of them has to wave a Confederate flag and uh, as a rite of passage? Um, yeah, this, this just doesn't seem right. Uh, that, no. it's not even a matter of politics. Just that there's just a lot that just comes off wrong about this being a, yeah. uh, being a way for Ben Horn to heal. Mm-hmm. Though at the time, I mean the the Civil War, the the Ken Burns documentary that was oh out. the PBS one. Um, yeah, that yeah, that was that was the thing that everybody in the universe was talking about right around that, and um, that's all that the writers' room was talking about too. So like it it, it ended up working its way into that storyline yeah. just because I mean it was in the zeitgeist. Yeah, I think that so, uh, yeah. I think that Harley Payne and Mark Frost they in particular were enamored with it for like months mm-hmm. on end after that. I uh, believe it. I mean, you know, as I, because I, my thing is that this is uh, drifting a little towards Ben Horn more than Jacoby, but, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it's a, I think conceptually having Ben Horn heal with like the Civil War process, mm-hmm. it's fine, you know, on that concept of him being in a midlife crisis and how do we get out of it? Yeah. But, but there, I, I thought the execution was just not good. And I, it, it, it comes back to the whole idea that with Jacoby, is this really mm-hmm. the best way for him to go through with it? Uh, just to make it full scale and make it basically LARPing, but as Confederates. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess if it was entertaining, I'd probably be less critical, but mm-hmm. it's, it's just one of those arcs that it, it's just a chore to get through. And every time I do a rewatch, I just think like, oh man, we're still on this after four or five <laughs> episodes. Yeah. See, I, I didn't really think about that being too bad for me because um, I, um, well, you know, I mean, I grew up in, that whole culture so you know it's like you you don't recognize um just how like really awkward that is if you're a kid who's you know just being taught that you know like oh you know this is like i mean you know dukes of hazard was only five years off the air at that point uh from new episodes so you know it's like you know the the south are just like these you know rascals yeah <laughs> so like yeah if, if you look at it from that standpoint it doesn't really like 
that's why it was included in the show anyway it, it wasn't like intentionally trying to be um you know extremely provocative about you know it's like oh we're gonna we're gonna talk about this really bad part of our history you know it's like it, it, it wasn't that thoughtful it was just you know it's like oh those southern rascal scamps you know oh, yeah. um no yeah I, I just know that russ table and richard beamer apparently mm-hmm. they actually were i don't know if protesting is the right word but they mm-hmm. were both adamant that they did not want to do it and Harley yeah, Payton, I, I don't I, blame them and i get that from them based on like all the interviews i've heard about them since yeah i know that richard beamer um i forget when he said it but he did talk about how uh twin peaks felt like it was more of an snl skit at a certain point and i Mm -hmm. every time when he talks about that all i can think of uh specifically in his case is the civil war arc where yeah you know he goes from having like a meltdown to it just being Mm -hmm. very characteristic and the thing is that twin peaks it's totally fine if it's over the top but i feel like ben horn and uh dr jacoby they you know they could have had this concept but it could have been a lot better yeah and i i get that and i i kind of think like part of it falls on you know having different directors too you know like um the the uh the directors you know they get to come in and they get to like completely design their own stuff the way they want to and they don't have to think too much about what what's just been done like the episode before or whatnot so you know like you know sometimes you get like the full sets like that from diane keaton (laughs) it's uh yeah so like i I don't know it's hard to like doing doing my show the way i do it it's kind of hard to like unmarry the production side of things from the final product so like you know it's like i can totally see how how it got served up on the platter like that (laughs) but uh yeah i don't know i i do like the idea though that like you're allowed to go in you're, you're you're allowed to lean into your delusion and because Twin Peaks is this place with this weird ethereal, um, you know, um, portal liminality, just like influencing everything in town, it, it kind of makes sense that like your internal, like completely losing it is going to show up like visually to everybody around you. I like that. Um, no, that uh, and again, um, I, I I know that uh, I kind of stand by where conceptually it's not the right word, but that when you bring yeah. it up like that, it does retroactively make the idea of like why it would be so characteristic. Uh, it, it rings a lot more true like that. <clears throat> yeah, and it just didn't have the stories to balance it out because I mean, you know, you're always getting Andy like stepping on a a plank and then it like bonks him in the face and then you know he's hobbling around for a while but then you know it used to be with stuff like that you know you'd get you know ronette's nightmare at the end and like in this whole arc you know it was nothing but the slapstick stuff and it was just off balance more than anything the thing is that unfortunately with dr jacoby the only thing i can think of after the civil war Mm -hmm. is really his scene in the season two finale uh which i i I think that even though it's short-lived, I kind of wonder if Lynch was deliberate about the choice of wardrobe because uh, you don't see him wearing the black and red garb, um, you know, in anything else before yeah. or after the scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe for aesthetic purposes that maybe wearing like his traditional Hawaiian outfit would seem too out of place for what was like clearly like what would end up being a malevolent scene. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's some about the black and red with the hat and the I don't know if cape is the right word, but he's uh, he's he's wearing something that's draped uh, over his yeah. uh, his normal suit. Uh, you know when he brings Sarah into the double R diner. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know how he gets there because, like, before that, like, um, he actually was in more stuff than just the Ben thing. You know, he was helping out with Nadine, and he was oh, also yes. helping out so- with Lana Milford. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Sorry, the Lana part. Um, you know, I, yeah. I I always forget about that part. Is that um, yeah. Again, like I, I think there's just something about during that season two arc mm-hmm. where I just kind of forget how much he is in it because yeah, yeah. He he does. That's the other thing is that he also kind of like we were saying before about the acting out, um, mm-hmm. acting out like in a characteristic manner that yeah. does tie into the Nadine story a lot better yeah. Uh, retroactively. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the Nadine and Ben Horn arcs to me like really signify like you know okay in um in episode 16 arbitrary law Bob leaves Leland he um you know flies out into an owl maybe or something but you know it's like there's all this Bob energy making everything completely wackadoo right and um like you can and you know this wasn't designed you know in production or not but like there's this whole time period where like bob is unmoored and like there's all these crazy wants that are almost taking shape outside so like you can almost like find a way to make that that like six or seven episode chunk before Wyndham Earl shows up to be kind of like you know this this unbridled lodge energy just like taking hold of everybody and just making everybody really wild Wow. Okay, that's uh, that's actually going to be some that changes my outlook on the on my uh, upcoming rewatch because cool. I do this thing where whenever I watch uh, that part of season two, I always <clears> make sure I double down on stuff like the donuts and cherry pie. <laughs> and I'm not being hyperbolic. I legitimately yeah. double down on this stuff where I go from Leland's wake until at least Josie's death. I think, mm-hmm. all right, just watch all the bad stuff in one night, just yeah. get it through. So tomorrow I can just like you know look forward to it, but. Yeah, if you're talking about off balance lodge energy, yeah, that's that yeah. actually feels like uh, that. Yeah, that feels like an interesting void that uh, that is filled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it really ends up helping. It, it helped me a lot once I figured out that you could make that connection because it's like, okay, good, it is actually still thematically Twin Peaks. You know, it's not that. Um, it's not that it lost its way too far. It just like went more absurd. And um, I, I think uh, I can't remember if it was Peyton or Engels, but one of them copped to the fact that, you know, like they, they just fell in love with absurdity right around then. And, you know, it's like, yeah, what are you going to do? I, I think it was probably <laughs> Harley Payne because I've seen him refer himself as like uh, being the next one in line after Lynch and Frost. Mm-hmm. And yeah. at that point, uh, Lynch kind of just threw his hands up and uh, Mark Frost was busy with Storyville. Uh, actually, yeah. side note, yep. um, Piper Laurie, the reason why she wasn't in the bank scene in uh, the season two finale mm-hmm. is because she was filming Storyville. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was wondering about that for a long time. Yeah. That like, cause I know she was in the script for that episode. Yep. Yeah. I think that's partially why, um, when, uh, Frost wrote like his books, uh, you know, before and after season three mm-hmm. is that it's like, Oh, Catherine Martell just like, you know, became a recluse. Cause <laughs> I think in his mind that she should have been at the bank and would have died along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now I think um, I said, at least for the original series, I think I said everything. Um, I, I guess we could probably yeah. go into, you know, the Mark Frost <laughs> books lean into season three. Because mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I was looking at is that um, is that uh, is that like he in the, in the secret history, there's a few documents where we're we come back to the whole he doesn't have much of a code of ethics, but it seems yeah. like he shifts that at the end. Because mm-hmm. uh, the thing that really stands out in terms of him just 
blatantly lying is that he talks about how Laura came to his office right after her 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty clear that he's uh, cover himself. Like even if it's like a clear lie, there's at least documentation to yeah. quote unquote say otherwise. <laughs> And, yeah, uh, I think he's definitely covering his ass a little bit in there, but there's so much thematic stuff that ends up actually panning out too. That's the thing is that um, uh, I, there's another thing that he put where um, I believe it was in that same document that he was uh, typing up that says, "Await for the minds to protect themselves from the unendurable truth." And mm-hmm. uh, my first thought was like, "Oh, well, this sounds like some really lack of self-aware projection." Mm-hmm. But uh, later on, he does make a vow for no more lies and. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, of course, like yeah. he's saying other lies, like in this exact same report. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I look at how how he how he presents himself in season three. And it yeah. seems like after this document that this is the thing that makes him think, yeah, I should really change. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like that whole thing. I mean, do you you mind if I read a chunk? Oh, absolutely. Go right ahead. OK. Yeah, it's it's um it's that part you were talking about. Um but the truth is laura's death has broken me my own belief system the fantasy that i could hold these worlds in balance um inner life outer reality and bring the truth of one closer to the other like some free-thinking hippie prometheus is shattered what a hapless fool i've been actions have consequences whatever happens from here whatever the squares decide about my professional fate if i can survive this ordeal find the strength to dig my way out of it dig my way out of it I make this vow, no more lies, only truth, straight up to everyone. Yeah, like that, That there's this thing with the golden shovels. Like there's, um, you know, he, he has this thing with the, the two coats. You know, it's that's like. That's actually, because uh, that's what I was thinking of is that um, mm-hmm. in the beginning of season three, I know that Dwayne Dunham is, uh, has talked about where the most time they spent was the first like two to three hours of season three. And I couldn't think, help but think for each subsequent rewatch that one of the earliest scenes we see is uh, Dr. Jacoby getting the shovels and yeah. starting the painting process. Yep. And mm-hmm. I just think that there's that connection of like Laura's golden orb to the shovels. Yeah. And yeah. now, uh, you know, with that shovel, um, you know, obviously going the alternative news route isn't going to be a one size fits all. And uh, given that the demographic is people like Nadine and Jerry Horn, it mm-hmm. probably reaffirms that for a lot of people. Yeah. But the thing is that, you know, when he does that, it at least for Nadine sets her off of uh, yeah. going off on a more selfless path and finally yep. gives Ed and Nadine uh, the romance that, oh, not Ed and Nadine, yep. sorry, Ed, Ed and Norma, the romance that uh, they've been longing this whole time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that whole thing, like, I, I think... Um even if he's still got some huckster in him, because I mean, you know, the whole shouting thing and <laughs> being the doctor amp and all that, you know, it's like, I, I understand there's showmanship involved here, but like, I really think that this, this, that, that thing I just read from secret history, you know, it's like actions have consequences, you know, it's like, it's all about personal responsibility. It's all about like, you know, it's like, I, th- I think he took it to heart. And I mean, you hear the, the part in Final Dossier um, really sealed it for me that like that really was a big deal to pay attention to. Because, um, yeah, I mean, he, liter- he, he literally does talk about, you know, intrapersonal alchemy being a thing that he's actually trying to do. And, you know, I mean, even if he's doing a huckster shovel for $30, it's like you're you almost need to like even even if it's just a talisman 
you know, it's like spending money on yourself to help yourself and fix things that need fixing. It's not bad. Yeah. No, it's the things that's uh, it's not too unlike Bent Horn's arc in mid late season two Mm -hmm. of the trying to have that road for redemption. But this is what I mentioned about the Laura Palmer case that his investigation was ongoing. Mm-hmm. I would at least like to think that it's sort of like what Ben Horn talked about where he's in the deepest blackness and he wanted to emerge as like a better man. Yeah. And I feel like this in the case of Jacoby, uh, you know, much like Laura, because they have to confront the fact that uh, on different times, but have to confront the fact that they had very inappropriate feelings and interactions mm-hmm. with Laura. Yeah. But they, uh, they seem like they do generally want to atone for it as well. Yeah. Yeah, even like just in general. And like, um, you know, Jacoby was not a creep to Nadine when he saw her in season three either. No, like, no. If anything, it seemed like it was like two best friends uh, that haven't seen each other in a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he, he's I I think connecting him and Ben Horn makes a lot of sense because, yeah, it's like, you know, these are these are you know men behaving badly because, you know, that's what, you know, men with power did in the in, in 1990. Um and like they they really have kind of come through on the other side at least at least partially you know i mean everybody everybody contains you know the good and the bad and you know like uh you know even gordon cole you know it's like uh uh denise calls him out on you know the young girls problem that he has you oh, know? Yeah. yeah so i mean you know it's like they 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 hang a hat on the fact that you know people aren't all great all the time like there there are things about a person that you're not gonna like but like i really think that um jacoby really has you know it's like i don't i don't have to like him for me to think that like this guy has the code for twin peaks like all you know it's like pay attention to him he is in the first episode like you said and um you know it's like the 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 shovel show up and then the next episode, he's painting them. And then the next episode, you don't really hear anything. And then the next episode, you actually see him on camera doing his shtick. And you're like, what the hell is this? And then the next time you see him, he's doing the same shtick, except this time, you know, like Nadine's reacting positively to him. And then the next time you see, you know, and, and like every time you see him or his shovels, it's like, that's it's almost like a step in the process of learning how to understand something about like being able to change or break out of your thing. And like Nadine absolutely um, is illustrating his concept in the show, you know, even, even if he doesn't buy into it totally. Honestly, I think that he probably, I don't want to say the deepest conviction of everyone's season three, but it seems mm-hmm. like it's pretty genuine. Um, mm-hmm. No, actually, the because you actually brought it up, and I think there's some deliberate, even though I can't articulate it. I did think recently of how the two coats of paint is mm-hmm. uh, very, you know, I, at first, I just thought it was like, you know, like when people paint, they always do two coats to just make yeah. it look good. But in the case of Lynch, he's incredibly deliberate with duality and numerology. Yes. And so mm-hmm. I think that there's got to be more to it. And uh, I imagine that my opinion will change on it like over time. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where I feel like there's some clear cut, but I also can't articulate at the same time. Yeah, it, it took a while. I mean, I, I focused on that almost exclusively for like a year and it took me 
it, it took me a long time. It's um, navigating between two worlds or navigating between worlds is the article that I did. And I mean, it's basically like this small book over a 25 YL. And um, I kind of feel like the, the two coats is like, you've, the the first coat is like understanding that something traumatic happened to you or something that needs changing. Uh, you know, it's like the, the first time you can kind of look it in the eye, but then like, you can't fix it right away because like you, you first have to say like, holy crap, what is that? And then you've got to process it for a while and think it through. So like the first coat is just like knowing it's there. And then the second coat is like that moment when you have your breakthrough and then like if you actually want to use a shovel to clean you know to dig yourself out of your shit um you know like once you get that second coat of like having a breakthrough of like you know this is what i think we can do something about it or like this is you know i oh this is a shovel i can use it you know then it's your choice whether you use it or whether you stay in the darkness I like that. Um, no, because uh, that's the thing is that the first time I watched uh, <laughs> season three, all I could think was that a lot of his stuff felt disjointed. Like mm -hmm. I was in the camp of people when you see him do his uh, show at night. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, why, why are we revisiting this? Um, you know, mm -hmm. he's, he's saying pretty much the same thing. And, you know, as, as time goes on, not only do I warm up to it, mm -hmm. but I think, like, oh, you know, it's like you're saying there's like almost this ascendance, like every scene where, you know, someone's like life is getting is being bettered in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And uh, and just how his contribution to that. And once I started honing on the whole part, like with Laura of, uh, you know, that being the ongoing investigation and that mm -hmm. would turn around. And this is even before anything in the secret history. Yeah, uh, they're, they're just something that just rings true. The idea that uh, that that in ongoing investigation would have him come that realization that he would have to do something else with his life because mm -hmm. uh you know someone like him or like uh his code of ethics would have been the thing that pretty much prompted him to be no mm -hmm. longer a practicing doctor in any way yeah but he can still do something to uh mm -hmm. you know help people even if it just you know doesn't fit because like i said um nadine and jerry horn they're not usually the go-to people for <laughs> you know for the news but yeah uh but you know they they both have their own odysseys um obviously mm -hmm. uh Jerry Horn is a lot more removed in regards to Jacoby, but in the case of Nadine, yeah. uh, there's definitely, uh, you know, a, a, a correlation with the two. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And like, even, even, even if you skip the fact that like he was trying to help her back in, you know, the secret history, like it, it, it doesn't, doesn't even have to be like a long-term client situation. I'm surprised we actually haven't brought this up yet because in season three, he's not Dr. Jacoby, he's Dr. Am. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and so one of the things I do think of is that, you know, because uh, for the longest time, I would think of electricity as this nefarious entity in mm -hmm. Twin Peaks. But uh, when I did my last rewatch for season three, um, uh, Hawk, he talks about how electricity is the modern fire, but he also mm -hmm. talks about the intent. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yep. it's the thing is that, uh, you know, the radio, it can be used for, it, it could be used for uh, more malevolent reasons, but he mm -hmm. finds a way to harness it and uses a way to uh, better people's lives. Even yeah. if alternative news is not really the type of thing that would, would traditionally do that. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you read through the final dossier in particular, yeah. uh, it's Tammy... And it's by extension, Mark Frost is clearly scoffing at a lot of the notions that uh, Dr. Jacoby holds to his heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, you know, again, there's that whole idea that it's not going to land for people. Uh, you know, it's only like Tammy Preston's just going to, you know, dismiss 
you know, his uh, his general demeanor and his mm-hmm. viewpoint. But I think even she puts in there, even in the midst of how of the of everything that he's done throughout his years after being a doctor, mm-hmm. that she does find it endearing that he that his uh, of his convictions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that he doesn't, you know, buy a mansion with all the money he could or couldn't get, you know, it's like he's 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 playing out of this little tiny trailer and yeah. it seems like he lives out there, too. Yeah, because, um, again, I know the final dossier where you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at least the stuff that adds up is one. Jerry Horn is the one who primarily funds him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the other one is that uh, is that. He uh, j- donates his generous earnings to all yep. the charitable causes that he likes. Yeah. And again, this comes back to the whole idea that you know we see in season three mm-hmm. uh, how how he uses electricity for a more benevolent intent. But mm-hmm. you know, in the case of the final dossier, for people who you know who who at least would you know believe these parts of it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's there's definitely something to that to reaffirm the idea that he did become a good person in the end. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if it's like, you know, he 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 saw God like, you know, like uh, Mike and Philip Gerard did, you know, and like, you know, it, it took him forever to change his ways. But like, I kind of wonder if um, if he got a time delayed message when he took that ayahuasca and like, you know, like eventually he finally got to that point where he would start using his you know particular set of skills for the betterment of everybody yeah it's one of those like probably a better later never type of situation yeah, where well, it, yeah. It, ta- it definitely <laughs> it takes a while and he does uh, a lot of not great stuff during that time yeah. but it is nice to see that you know because we start off the podcast talking about how uh, he called laura late in the night and you know it's like yeah. he doesn't know about her life situation i mean he mm-hmm. knows but he doesn't know what she's going through at the time he calls, you know, in terms yeah. of like, uh, she finally knows who Bob really is, but you know, it's, but the fact that he calls up like a high school girl and like begging for mm-hmm. a kiss on one of her tapes, which by the mm-hmm. way, in, um, in the secret diary, he actually buys her that uh, recorder for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it seems like, you know, when he said that he loved the two Laura's mm-hmm. that, you know, this isn't just like the dynamic that it just, it just seemed like it was always just like kind of leading to that trajectory. Yeah. But also the fact that much like Ben Horn, they confront the fact that it is highly inappropriate. Yeah. But then they, uh, but you see them you know, like 25 years later um, mm-hmm. and then they, they seem like they hold true to it, that there's uh, yeah. actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he really took it to heart that like, you know, even though, even though like Laura was like, actually kind of in a positive trajectory with um with like being able to integrate sides of herself i mean like that's kind of how i read the end of the secret diary um you know jacoby like you know whether it's the series whether it's uh secret history he always cops to the fact that like he was not up to the task of being able to save her and that really really did not sit well with him because that was his job you know it's like you know he's trying to keep people safe and alive and getting better and like yeah it's like what what do you do when something like that when when somebody comes through like that you know like setting off all the electricity in yourself and um you know then you just aren't up to the task that was the road that uh that led to him becoming way is now and yeah uh, i'm just glad that they uh that he was able to you know find a way to 
you know, end things better than you started. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But uh, I think I said everything on my end uh, in all three seasons, the missing pieces and all the books. Um, would you have any final thoughts for Jacoby and Dr. Amp? Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I mean, he, he's, he's a complicated guy and he's worth paying attention to just because I really think that like the way, the way positive energy flows, you know, it's like, if you're not going to look at the Dougie scenes to kind of watch how that can, you know, grow light through darkness. Um, Jacoby really does have kind of a, kind of an answer for that. You know, it's like, if you're looking at season three and you're going like, Oh God, how, yeah, how, how am I supposed to get through this? Um, that's, you know, hit him and his golden shovels is a good approach. Oh, absolutely. But, um, yeah, since, uh, I think we said everything we need about Dr. Mm -hmm. Jacoby, um, do you want to plug anything on your end for anything you're doing or <laughs> the podcast? Yeah. Well, um, I know, um, I know 25 years later side is still doing, doing strong work everywhere. Um, we're, we're still putting out twin peaks articles every once in a while, but there's plenty of like, like the, the level of thought that goes into 25 YL article is amazing. Um, you know, so pretty much like if you've got a show that you like, you know, just, just, you know, put it in the search bar and see if we've written about it. Um, and, uh, ruminations radio network, you know, like we're all, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I know like uh, cinephile hissy fits comes out every week and that's Don and Will talking movies. And, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of great stuff that I happen to be like really close to that. I, I am super happy about how that goes. And, uh, you know, both those places are the foundation for Blue Rose Task Force podcast. And uh, I'm I'm going to do my best to do weekly all the way through the end of the year to get through season two all in one go. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give it the, the deepest look I can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, when I put this up on Podbean, I'll be sure to uh, have links to Blue Rose Task Force and 25 years later. So uh, like you said, like the amount of work uh, everyone puts in there does not go unnoticed. Good, good. It's it's kind of hard to tell that from being inside all the time. <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah. inside the organizations, but I'm glad to know. Together.